there, ho there, friends, and here we go. That's right, we're here for another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I'm Denver 7's pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Happy to be here after recovering from my yearly uh, season change sickness that hits me between fall and winter. Yeah, you were uh, sick as a dog. Pretty darn sick. Sneezing my face off, man. I, I hate being around anyway. Let's not go there. It's too gross for our audience. Well, apparently you sneezed all the way into a Patriots hat, which um, has some bling on it. Um, You know, winning all the time is hard. Being a fan of a team that wins all the time is even harder. And that's how I feel about my New England Patriots. I won't say anything about my um, hometown Detroit Lions. They're not bad. No, they're actually they're well, not bad. You know, but they're not great. That's true. You know, <clears throat> so we have that going for us. And the Broncos are just tanking, so we won't even uh, go there. <laughs> By the way, this is our one-year anniversary. Do you know we've been doing this podcast for now a year? And then this is episode number 49. 49 episodes to prove it. Uh, you know, it speaks for itself, just the volume of work. I mean, you put, you do an excellent job of putting together these things every week and coming up with the rundown of stories, and, you know, I'm just happy to be buckled into the passenger seat. You know, it, uh, sure, some people thought it would just last a couple of weeks, maybe one or two episodes, but here we are a full year from where we started. I'm really amazed. We have made it longer than uh, several of our former colleagues did. Yes, we have. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> who would have thought that? Uh, and, you know, we had the time change over the weekend, and Nicole Brady, who who did the fill-ins for you while you were out, you know, sneezing your guts out. Just and a wonderful person. She did. She is a wonderful person. She she looks a lot better than you, by the way. Um, but then again, <laughs> most people do. My, um, you know, so my she was bugged, and my wife, too, she was bugged that her car doesn't automatically change the clocks uh, during the time change. Now, my mine... It changed. I looked in my car, and, and the, the clock had changed automatically, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, not the same for my wife's car, and not the same, I guess, for Nicole's car. Uh, my wife has two clocks, one like on the dashboard and one on the radio. And one of them is so difficult to change, um, I, I had to get out the owner's manual to change the name. I mean, it, really? it seems unfair that with all the bells and whistles of modern cars nowadays— like, like mine changed automatically, but you would think that that should be a standard feature in all cars. Her car is like a 2016, mine's a 2014. You would think that her car, being more modern than mine, would automatically change the clocks. Frankly, I think it's more shameful that the two clocks aren't connected to each other and you have to change them separately. Yes, they are not. And so if one, and this is another thing. It's 2016. These, these clocks, they don't even really run on the same, they, they, like when you have a battery-operated clock, I can understand the battery's going to go down. But maybe the clock's not going to be as accurate right. as the atomic clock up in Boulder. However, these two clocks, which are digital clocks, run off batteries in the car. You would think would have the exact same time synced up when I sync it, but they don't. One will start running faster than the other. It's such a pain. It and, really is. And then you go by your phone anyway, which is like the most accurate time. And so you're con- in my mind anyway, I know that my microwave clock is about two minutes faster than my phone clock. Yeah. And my wife's clock is about a minute slower than my phone clock. It's Time is weird. Yeah. But, no, it's just our measure of time. Yep. It, it, you know, I, I heard somewhere that it was GPS. You have to have the, the cars hooked up to GPS all the time of some sort um, in order for the clocks to automatically adjust. But I have this... In my old house and now in my new house, I, I bought this uh, automatic timer deal that you put in place of your front light switch. So it has the little clock on there, 
and it will turn on and off the front lights, the front house lights, um, at, with the sunrise and with the sunset. Okay. And it also changes automatically with the time change. I have never had to turn my lights on the front of the house on or off in the last, what, eight years. Wow. And it can do it. Yep. It can do it, it perfectly. Why can't my car do it all the time? So frustrating. We have the power, is what you're saying. Well, yeah, and I wasted 15 minutes on this stupid clock. That's 15 minutes I could have been doing. That is a lot of time to be spending on uh, changing a clock. I could have been doing anything else. Yep. I don't know what. Half an episode of Friends. There you go. Something on Amazon. I could have been watching anything. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, as I was changing the clocks of the car, I actually started thinking about all the truckers who have to deal with this as they change time zones as they're crisscrossing the country. Do they... Do they just set their clock or not even worry about their clock or set it at their home time zone and then just not worry about it as they're going from place to place to place? And what about the same? What about the people that live along time zones, like somebody who lives in Georgia and works in Alabama or mm-hmm. vice versa? Because some of those time zones, they run like there's one that goes along Indiana and Illinois. And so what if you're in one place or let's say you live in in Illinois and you have and and you work there in Indiana, whatever the case may be. Well, I think w- what I find really interesting, and this is in an article that I read over the weekend, a lot of people in the Mountain Time Zone are offer- operating off the Pacific Time Zone anyway, and a lot of people in the Central Time Zone are operating off of the Eastern Time yeah. Zone anyway. So it could make more sense. I mean, this stuff is all made up by human beings for the most part anyway. We yeah. could transition to just two time zones in the contiguous 48, and it might make more sense. And it might help out Idaho because their state is cut in half north to south. I mean, the, the time zone between Pacific and Mountain goes east-west across the north, <laughs> across the half of the state. Exactly. So you're living, you, you drive north in Idaho, and you're in the Pacific. You drive south to Boise, and... You're in the mountain time zone. That is a little strange. I mean, I thought Tennessee being cut directly in half was strange, but I guess going east to west would be quite a bit different. Yeah, and, you know, there's statistically more crashes during the time changes, um, and then they worry the, the CDOT people or, the, you know, the DOT people. They're talking about how migration patterns are at certain times, and so especially now with the time change, if you're, if you're up earlier, you're going to see more of the wildlife and that sort of thing. Interesting stat, though. Fewer heart attacks the day after we fall back. Well, I think everybody's getting a little bit more rest. Exactly. But in the spring, we do see more crashes statistically for the at least the first and maybe the second week after the time change because everybody's, well, I think they're all amped up anyway for spring. Yes. And they're losing the sleep, and it just changes your time patterns. And I came back from Florida over the weekend, so on Saturday, and uh, so I lost the two hours coming back from Florida, and then the other hour, so it was like going from Eastern to Pacific time all in... One day. God, it's just another example of man making things more complicated than they might actually need to be. Yes, most definitely. Well, Mexico City, their bus drivers, they've discovered the hard way that their new double-decker buses don't fit everywhere in their city. A driver damaged the top of his bus by driving it into a station whose roof was too low to clear the vehicle. The city received these new British-built London-style red buses, and they're not quite used to driving them yet. The director of the Metro bus system there in Mexico City says the driver involved in the crash took an unauthorized shortcut on another route and will be punished. I I don't know how, but I bet it isn't good. I've heard bad stories about punishments in Mexico, and it's not good. No. It doesn't involve tequila. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't. Maybe it involves a sombrero and a Speedo and some tequila. I mean, I think that's probably a best-case scenario, right? (laughs) 
that what happens on most spring breaks down there? I would. I, that's what I've heard. Either way, I'm I'm feeling sad for that poor bus driver who's going to be punished. But for real, if you're driving a bus that's a double decker, you have to know when you can't drive the double decker. Yeah. Too many too many narrow overpasses. I'm sure you've seen the video on YouTube of trucks just running into the overpass. It's a little bit too short, <laughs> and all of them get peeled back like a tin can. So I have no problem hearing the kids in the backseat of my car, mainly because they inherited my voice box, and uh, they can be pretty loud. They, they haven't yet learned the fine art of lowering uh, their volume when they're talking in the car yet. I'm, I'm hoping that one day they'll learn that. Uh, they, they likewise have no problem hearing me because, just like I said, I'm pretty loud. That said, some drivers complain, though, about a problem where people in the back seat couldn't hear the people in the front seat. And that Toyota, so far, is one of the few companies that have this new technology. I guess they had it in a few cars, and now they're expanded to all their cars. And they call it this easy speak feature. And all you do as a driver is you press a button on the dashboard screen, and this built-in microphone, it picks up everything that the people in the front are saying, and then that sound is piped straight back to the backseat speakers, amplifying the driver's voice, so those passengers in the back can hear, and it makes it harder for your kids to ignore you as you're trying to discipline them from the front seat. <laughs> I'm a big fan of all of this. I'm not yes. going to lie. Imagine having the voice of God in the backseat telling your children, knock it off. Yeah. Stop poking each other. I, I guess when it's activated, it mutes anything that might have been playing on the on the speakers, right? So if you're you know, listening to music, all of a sudden you hit the button and now you're hearing the voice of dad. I mean, this to me, I can see why a lot of people would say this sounds a little ridiculous, but between the voice of dad option and also the freedom that it would offer for rideshare drivers, I mean, it oh, makes sure. it easier to communicate with people who you just picked up. I think the thing could be pretty popular. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point there. Uh, Toyota has expanding uh, been expanding this, I guess, in more of their models now. Uh, but is this, as I, w- I was reading this story, I was thinking, is this a is this a problem that needs this high tech solution? I mean, it sounds more like a a fix looking for a problem to me. Mm. But yep. but like you said, I didn't think about the rideshare um, issue there. But that that makes sense. I agree. I do, however, like to follow along with your theory of this is a fix in search of a problem. I mean, Dad can turn around for two seconds to yell at the kids if he needs to. Right. But in in the rideshare thing, mm-hmm. is it creepy that I like to just ride in the front seat? No. They always seem to have to move their stuff out of the passenger seat when I try to get in the front. Do you take Uber or do you take Lyft? Both. So what I've read is that statistically Uber drivers are less likely to want you to sit in their fr- in the front seat than Lyft drivers are. Okay. And I've, I do notice that quite a few Lyft drivers appreciate it when you sit in the front seat. I mean, if you're going to talk to them the whole time anyway, you may as well cut out that barrier in between. Well, that and it looks weird, doesn't it? If you're not in a, like in a taxi, then it's pretty natural to get in the back seat. Even in the taxis, I like to ride in the front, and that kind of freaks them out, I think, a little bit. But in the uh, when you're just ride, you're doing a ride share, because presumably, if let's say you and I are driving down to Dunkin' Donuts here on Broadway, right, uh, you're going to get in the in the passenger seat, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I would think it looks weird to other people who are seeing this. It depends on my mood, man. If I'm trying to let the driver know that I have no interest in talking to him, I'm abs- I'm absolutely going to sit in the back seat. Oh, that's you what know, it is. That, that's, that's it to some extent. I think it depends on what kind of conversationalist you are as a rideshare passenger. And really, to be frank, I'd rather have a microphone anyway connected to like a megaphone that's wired into the engine compartment of the vehicle so I can, I can talk <laughs> or even better yell at people who are on the street. Or in other cars around me. Do you really want that, though? Yes, think, I do. Think of how dangerous that power is. I know. It's is. really, you know, that would provide me with hours of entertainment. Mm. I mean, imagine being able to talk to other drivers that are around you as you're cruising down the motorway or you're at an intersection, whatever, 
and you could make it'd be fun commentary. You could yell at people. Um, you know, hey, watch out, get out of the road if if there's some pedestrian that's trying to jaywalk or whatever the case may be. Oh my god! I think Can it's I, I I think it's illegal to do that. If somebody shouted at me while I was crossing the street, I might just fall down in the street, <laughs> not like hurry up. Maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I saw we did the story about some guy who hooked up that train horn in the front of his car, which I think is illegal as well. But that's also a great option. If it's not illegal, it should be illegal. Yeah. I don't need a train honking at me while I'm on the interstate. <laughs> Entertaining, but probably the local police would want to have a uh, few words with you. Correct. If you did that sort Intervention. of thing. But I still want it. I still want it. I don't know how I would hook it up, but I still want it. Get creative, man. I was reading a uh, new report that su- suggests that cars powered by fossil fuels will no longer be made after 2024. I mean, that's just, what, six years away. No kidding. Uh, as the self-driving electric vehicles become vastly cheaper to use and just in time for the next total solar eclipse across the United States in 2024, nobody would be able to go anywhere because they're Electric-powered, solar-powered cars wouldn't get any juice. Darn space. (laughs) (laughs) This report by Tony Seba. He's an economist at Stanford. He argues that the introduction of driverless technology will be driven by companies such as Uber and DD, which will invest massively in creating a fleet of vehicles that are so cheap and convenient to use that car ownership will become a thing of the past. I think all these people are getting way ahead of themselves. I don't think all this stuff is going to happen for 30 or 40 years. Can you imagine a world, though, where only like 1 in 10 people owned cars, or even worse, 1 in 50, but those 1 in 50 people owned 5 cars, and they were just charging everybody for rides? Right. I mean, that's a good business model for them, but it seems like it's bad for everybody else. Seba says the world is on the cusp of one of the fastest, deepest, most consequential disruptions of transportation in history. He thinks by 2030... Within 10 years of regulatory approval of autonomous vehicles, 95% of U.S. passenger miles traveled will be served by on-demand autonomous electric vehicles owned by fleets, not individuals, in new business models we call transportora, transa, transportas a service. Transportas, transportas a service. Well, when you say it like that, Jason, you make it sound much more appealing. <laughs> The report also suggests that savings of uh, using a transport service rather than buying a new car and and fuel will be $5,600. They suggest this will have massive repercussions on society and the economy, and the savings will provide a boost to consumer spending in the U.S. of a trillion dollars, and the efficiency gain will increase GDP by an extra trillion dollars. And they say that that the number of cars in the U.S. will fall from 247 million to 44 million, as around 100 million fueled cars will be abandoned. It still seems like that is not possible that quickly. That, I mean, that sounds like science fiction. The world you just laid out for us does not sound at all possible 10 years from now. No, it doesn't. Because there are so many rural areas that will not have this technology. And side roads and neighborhood roads. And you just... I don't think you can get the infrastructure for the next 50 years. I, I mean, throw this podcast back in our face if we're wrong. But you, as you said, there's no there's no way the, the current economy can support something like this. No, not right off the top of my head. I, it won't be good for anybody working in the automotive, oil service, or part supplier business. Uh, the report says the car industry, including insurers, dealers, and maintenance, will face destruction unless they adopt to the new role and the new mode of transportation. You think so? 
I mean, Ford's not going anywhere, right? I think we're talking about like low, low. We're talking lower about level. Let's, yeah. Or, or, let's, if you drive an electric car, like mine, you get the oil changed once every nine months, maybe up to a year, depending on how many miles you're driving. And so I don't need to go to Grease Monkey every three thousand miles or three months. Mm-hmm. I need to go to my dealer every nine to twelve months. Well, and it's pr- it's a somewhat different skill set for the mechanics that are out there right now as well. And you're looking at a lot of mom and pop places that you know this would put them right out of business theoretically. Yeah, the study suggests that the demand for oil will peak at a hundred million barrels a day and fall to seventy million barrels by 2030. Prices they say will stabilize at about twenty five dollars per barrel, which will make major oil fields and pipelines uneconomic. And oil prices could collapse, they say, as early as 2021. That, that means we should all short the oil market. And I heard a guy talking about the oil market. He says right now the oil is fairly high. It's the highest it's been in a couple of years. But he predicted another crash in the oil market. And this is really the higher prices based on what um, OPEC is doing and some of the turmoil that's going on in, in the Middle East with Saudi Arabia and Iraq and that sort of thing. But um, that... He thinks that oil, just like this report, is going to be going down and probably stay down for many years. I mean, but you can't discount the fact that while automobile fuel is so important for the oil industry, there's also jet fuel. There's also plastics. I mean, there's a lot of things that require fossil fuels. And, you know, it's going to have an impact if there's fewer gas-guzzling automobiles out there. But there's other places that are still going to provide plenty of demand for those products. And and I've seen reports that say the the Chinese... They want to have 5 million battery electric plug-in hybrid electric cars on the road by 2020. And they want to be making 1 million electric vehicles per year by 2020. A million a year. And all these predictions of rapid change don't quite take into account humans. Yeah, humans. Humans. Uh, I think the world will change, but not quite as fast as all these scientists are, are going to think. I think they might change their mind if they if they take a trip off uh, out of their mahogany office and drove to a rural America where many people live and work and enjoy their cars and trucks. I mean, that's just my outlook. I, I, I think these predictors should slow their roll just a little bit. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I grew up in rural America. I mean, there's there's people who are my age, you know, like mid to late 20s that can't afford a vehicle and people who are younger than me that certainly can't afford a vehicle. And so unless their parents are buying it for them, they're going to have to nickel and dime and do the ride share when they can and do a lot of walking and bicycling otherwise. And just think how it is going to impact like states like Colorado who do the oil, you know, the oil shale stuff and all the fracking and all that's going to change. And if it's not economically viable at a certain price, that stops. We lose jobs. We lose money. We lose the tax revenue. It, it really does change the economy drastically. There is already that pivot happening where they're trying to bring in a lot of electric automobile companies and they're trying to bring in solar companies and they're trying to really diversify their assets in the energy market so you don't put all your eggs in the fossil fuel barrel. Well, coming up, hypermiling. Have you heard of hypermiling? No. All right. Well, hypermiling, we'll explain what that is, what it's all about, and how you can get on board if you want to. That's all next as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Molly Hendrickson, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. Molly, why should people watch the Denver 7 morning show? I don't know. (laughs) Because we have a lot of fun in the mornings. We've got a great group of of, uh, co-workers that we all work with. We all get along. There's great energy. Of course, we're on top of your breaking news and your 
weather and your traffic, but I don't think that that's what makes the morning show so great. I think that it's the people that I work with, they're all fun. You know, we're a little crazy. You have to be a little crazy to get up at 2.30 in the morning and come into work and, and look alive on TV. Molly Hendrickson, only on Denver 7. Denver 7 is the only morning newscast you are guaranteed to get something new every day. Watch the other stations. You're going to see the same stuff. Same reporters out on the same stories. You watch us. We put more resources than any other station into bringing you new stories, relevant stories, new content, fun stories, interesting stories. And so I, that's my promise to you. If you watch us, you're going to see something you would not see on all those other guys. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7. world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where we are going old-timey Mexican music. Makes you feel like you're at the beach, It right? kind of makes me... kind of sounds like the um, world's most interesting man. Yes, Dos Equis. Yeah, kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I love this kind of... I love this. I love Cuban music even more. Uh, that's one of the best channels on Pandora, by the way, the Cuban channel. Interesting. It's awesome. It is great. Uh, it, just try it when you're not listening... Like, when you're not listening to us in the car, then you can try the Pandora... Cuban channel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm Otherwise, you should be listening to this podcast. Exclusively. All 49 episodes on a loop. <laughs> um, I actually really like the 1950s station. I don't know why. The 1950s? Yeah, a lot of like, you know, well, late, late big band and doo-wop type music. Hmm, so. Interesting. This music, though, does make me want to check out and just, uh, you know, get out of the civilized life, roll down to Mexico, park it on the beach, get a little shack somewhere, maybe a charter boat. Mm. Gator the charter boat to uh, you know some of those tourists that come down there from the cruise boats or whatever. Make up a story about why you're in, why you're there. <laughs> Never tell them the real story about Jason Luber. But you know, here's the thing: I can only be dirty for a short period of time. That's that's my issue. I have Wait. to take a sh- I have to clean up every once in a while. That's what all that ocean water is there for, man. <laughs> you think so? Come on, wash now. yourself yeah, in the ocean. Absolutely. Oh. Here's the pro- I've created way too many responsibilities for myself here right now with, with little people that, that depend on daddy to, mm. to feed them and close them and house them. They'll learn much more from being uh, the host of your charter boat business than they will in school. Well, because if I don't take care of them, they will die. Mm. Yay! Put them to work. <laughs> Put them to work, man. Headline, United Kingdom. Eagle Eye cop catches half-naked driver with his genitals exposed while sitting in a traffic jam. Mindy Fairchild claimed he had pulled over to swap his shorts since it was one of the warmest days of the year. That was at the moment the two police officers pulled up alongside his car. The officers reported seeing the 52-year-old man lying in a reclined seated position with his junk out. But they did not report whether he was happy to have his shorts down. (laughs) Probably wasn't happy after the police showed up. As they pulled alongside, he pulled his shorts up. He told the officers that he was hot and wanted to cool down and needed to lie down while he was cooling down. He added that he was in the process of locating his trousers that he was going to put on and uh, fully accepts he, he, he obviously caused any person alarm if uh, if they had seen him in that position 
Mindy was given a year-long conditional discharge in order to pay various court costs. I'm thinking air conditioning. Conditional discharge. On not pulling his pants down in public, probably again. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, what are the conditions? They seem like they're pretty easy to live up to. Drive with pants on. Even if you don't have air conditioning, you could still do the 460 method. Four windows down, 60 miles an hour. That'll help cool you off. Amen. Billboards have long been fixtures on the side of the roadway uh, since the beginning of cross-country travel in the United States. But with common sense... Well, it leads most of us to believe that those advertising boards could disappear as the attention of drivers will eventually be drawn inside their car rather than looking outside of their car. Because of autonomous cars, if you're not driving it, there's no sense in looking outside when you can be looking at a screen, watching TV, reading a book, doing whatever. Literally anything but driving. Exactly. So the billboard industry says self-driving vehicles will only make billboard ads more valuable. All right, this is, is intriguing me. The chief commercial officer at Outfront Media says when drivers become passengers, they would still be aware of the roadside signage and maybe more so. In fact, we would be able to uh, add better engaged creative billboards, which would normally require more of a person's attention than a driver could spare. He added that billboards with connected geofences and mobile integrated campaigns could be more effective at sending a message then the current static views can be seen while driving at 60 miles an hour. I think what this comes down to for me is a question of am I comfortable riding in a car that nobody else is in and not looking at the road, right? Right. Like if I can do that, if I can just read a book, then I don't need a billboard. The billboard doesn't matter to me. But if I need to be focused on the road or looking outside or if I'm engaged in conversation with someone and I'm glancing outside from time to time, then, yeah, you are going to see the billboard and something might actually catch your attention. Perfect example. If you're on the train, yes, you're still looking outside, right, for the right. most part. I mean, there are some people that read and... And even if you are reading or engaged in some other activity, let's say on your phone, you're still aware of what's going on outside. You have to get off at the right stop. I mean, you have to make sure that everything, you can't, you can't completely dissolve yourself from the moment into the reading. That's why I don't read on the bus, because I find it so distracting while you're riding in somebody else's vehicle. Now, they say the future of in-vehicle media is that media companies are already looking for ways to take other devices, surfaces, and airtime in self-driving cars as human behavior on the road changes. How cars are presently advertised to will have to change dramatically, said Dan Jaffe of the Association of National Advertisers. He says no longer will these ads be able to focus primarily on the driver's perspective. In Australia, billboards from Lexus send directly targeted messages to drivers of luxury-modeled cars. Clear Channel Outdoor is experimenting with uh, collecting data on people who pass their smart billboards, and right now it passes that data along to make more targeted billboard campaigns and help determine return on ad spending by running the numbers against purchases and brand awareness. But over time, that data could have other uses. Uh, Dumb billboards have to get smart or die, they say. I mean, we're not so far off from a world where the billboard recognizes your license plate, pulls up the phone number associated with that license plate, and sends you a text message or a video message with an advertisement for whatever they're trying to sell. Yeah, or like they said on this, this Lexus one, it knows that you're driving a Lexus, so the next billboard just down the road will show you pictures or video of a BMW or of an Audi or whatever, a, uh, you know, competing vehicle. Or let's say it can see that you're, uh, maybe it can see in your car and you're eating a sandwich. 
maybe it'll show you uh, pictures of the next McDonald's or Wendy's coming up. Or maybe it'll look in your car and see you're not eating a sandwich, and it will say you could use a sandwich. Yes. <laughs> or it could see you're doing other things and then suggest, I don't know, the La Quinta down the road. Right. If you're yelling at your kids, it could suggest a wonderful babysitter. <laughs> or self-help or, you know, anger <laughs> management. Something like that, exactly. right? I mean, the possibilities here are are far and wide. We should go into this business, man. The, uh, bill, the smart targeted billboard <laughs> business. All right. So have you heard of hypermiling? No. I think you've probably done it, but uh, probably on a different level. Okay. Now, it, it really isn't anything new, th- though some people are just getting wind of this, and, and they're calling it new. They're calling it this new cost-effective driving technique, and most people call it drafting. But officially, hypermiling is a form of extreme energy-efficient driving where the aim is to get the maximum amount of miles out of every gallon of gas. Rather than spending your money buying the most economical car, the idea for these people is to drive your current car in the most economical way possible. And there's an online community group known as Hypermilers, where people post their favorite way they beat the car maker's stated miles per gallon. And these hypermilers, some claim their techniques that they've used can help them reduce their fuel usage by 40%. Now, you're, you're getting my attention, but all right, these are the ways they're doing it. Now, and, and before I continue, I, I have to say it seems to be that these people are in desperate need of a, of a hobby. Well, they found their hobby. They're in desperate need of a new hobby. Yeah. All right, to get the increased mileage, some drivers use the technique that, that has been called controversial by some. It's a, a statement on the Hypermiler website that says that hypermiling, as with any form of driving technique, can be dangerous if used on the wrong road and in unsuitable traffic conditions. They say, please always be aware of the other road users. Don't endanger yourself or others uh, for the sake of uh, saving a few miles a gallon. All right. So here's some of the ways they do it. Drafting. Drafting is one of the main techniques used by hypermilers and is one of the most controversial. It involves driving really, really, really close to or slipstreaming behind the car in front of you. Now, it's all, basically, it's tailgating. That's what you're doing. And estimates suggest it can save as much as 40% on your fuel. That's because a large amount of your car's energy is used by pushing the air in front of you out of the way. So if there's another car that's doing that for you, then you need a lot less gas to hold that same speed that the other car is pushing the air. I mean, you see truckers doing this all the time mm-hmm. uh, when they get in a, in a line, in a convoy, but there, there's also no, no, no doubt that it's a safety risk. Reducing your visibility, taking away time to react if that car or truck in front of you breaks suddenly. Um, the, the real problem here is that you can't dramatically cut your fuel consumption tailgating unless your car is, is really close. I mean, within that slipstream of the car in front of you, and you, and you do have to be almost in their bumper, and it's uncomfortable for the driver in front of you to be dri- – and it's uncomfortable for you as, as trying right. to be a hypermiler to, to drive that close to somebody else. Some say that anything beyond a couple of feet is a waste of time. I, doubt, I don't think so. You're still getting a benefit on – uh, on that air resistance. But that, that to me, is, I mean, that's the dangerous part of it, right? Is that, is that you, by saying there are people that believe that a, more, less than a couple of feet or more than a couple of feet is a waste of time, well, that's encouraging people to get within a couple of feet right. of other people on the road, and that's a problem. And, and to me, you're forced to drive that speed of that driver in front of you. There's, you, you really take that out of your – because not everybody's driving at the same speed all the time, and they're, not everybody's on um, the auto cruise control – 
So uh, my speed varies if I'm driving on the highway a few miles an hour up or down. So then you're going to have to also make those adjustments. And it seems like you're always going to have to be in that hyper tense mode just because mm-hmm. you don't know if that other driver ahead of you is one torqued off that you're following so close or right. going to maybe brake check or jump out of the way or whatever the case may be. Certainly torqued off that you're following that close. Right. Now, the second controversial technique, sometimes used by these hypermiling uh, community people, is driving with your engine off. I, I friend of mine, when, I, when we were first driving, he had this VW whatever. We were 16, we're driving to some, somewhere on the side street, and he had to get something out of the glove box. Well, this is the time where he, he was locking his glove box. So he turned off the car, took his key out, unlocked the glove box, and then put the key back in the ignition and then turned it on, and then and we kept on going. Um, that's about the only time I've seen somebody just drive with their car off. I mean, it's a technique I've never even heard of up till now. Yeah, exactly. It seems they say by turning your engine off after you've built up speed, you save fuel, but you also lose your power steering. You can't accelerate away from problems. Your braking is compromised because if you have power braking, you lose you lose that. Uh, I believe it's against the law to drive, especially at, at higher speeds with your engine off. I would think so. It should be. It should. It should be. <laughs> Switching off your engine will eventually kill you. I think. If you're doing it all the time. And and how bad is it then you're saving gas, but then you're also using the starter more often, right? It just seems like a waste of time. It seems like any sort of fuel savings that you're going to get is going to be outweighed by just what a waste of time it is. Yeah. Fortunately, a lot of what the community advises after that is much safer. Uh, it works and is, is simply easy to adopt. And so here are their other top tips that anyone can use to save gas. And I think you've probably heard most of these before. Keep your car properly serviced. Well-maintained cars are 10% more efficient than ones that have been allowed to fester in its old oil for a while. Uh, Get rid of unnecessary weight. Reducing weight is free. It gains performance and economy. So take out all the clutter from your car or the stuff that's on top of your car. Because that's why a lot of automakers are dropping features like the uh, spare tires and that sort of thing. Because it drops the weight of the vehicle and it makes it more fuel efficient. Uh, smoother is better, less pressure on the accelerator, the fuel uh, you're saving right there. Uh, avoid sharp braking, let the engine slow down, the car naturally focus on the road ahead, and keep your accelerating as smooth as possible. Uh, underinflated tires are less efficient. Make sure you're topped off uh, w- on your tires with the manufacturer's recommended levels. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm going to get new tires today on my car, and so I'll tell you that story Next week. It's a big deal anytime it happens, man. It's like once once or twice every year, right? Well, I'm getting these. I have the original tires on there uh, from 2015. Man. Uh, so they're two. Well, I guess it was a 2014 car. So they're three years old, and uh, they're, the, the, the tread is at the point where I could still drive fine on dry. If, it, if we didn't really get any rain or definitely the snow, then I think I'd be okay. But since we're getting snow and we're coming into the winter season, I, I need better tread. Uh, ditch the drag. Roof racks, uh, when you're not in use, take those off. Those also uh, slow you down a little bit. In fact, anything removable that's sticking out of your car that you don't need should go. Uh, slow down. Go long. Driving at 50 and 60 miles an hour is generally the most uh, fuel-efficient way to get from point A to B. And it could save you a bunch in fuel on journeys, especially if you're going long distances. I can't wait to drive cross-country at 50 miles an hour, Jason. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> going between Orlando and Jacksonville uh, four or five or six times in the last week. Right. I, I was going a touch higher than the speed limit. Uh, no air conditioning under 40. Open a window instead. 
That said, if you're going fast, the drag of an open window uses more energy than the air conditioning. So switch to that if you need to stay cool. I don't care. I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep the air conditioning on the whole time. I'm going to keep the windows down the whole time and let my dog hang his head out the window. Tongue flapping in the breeze. Tongue flapping. See, that's the problem. My hair gets all wacky. Oh, yeah. You can't do that if you work in TV. No, you can't. Not at all. Um, you know, I, I really do draw the line at the AC. I have to have the AC. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. I have to have the AC. I do like the windows down, but it does, you know, not that I have the most perfect hair ever. Don't lie. I don't. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I'm getting a haircut on Thursday, so I'll let you know how that goes, too. There you go. There you have Very it. exciting lineup for the Driving You Crazy I know, podcast very exciting. Week. New tires tomorrow or today, haircut tomorrow. Uh, when I used to get really tired, I don't know if you ever did this as a technique, but I would have the windows down and the air conditioning going to try to keep me awake as I was driving oh, at sure. 3 or 4 a.m. Oh, there you go. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> that never works, everybody. Never. <laughs> don't never works. do that. All right. So that's about it for this edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast, episode 50. The big 50 is uh, next week. So we'll be ready for that, um, I think. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again. If you can reach out to us on Twitter at Denver 7 Traffic. I'm the same thing on Instagram. Uh, I'm tw- on Twitter. I'm Joseph Denver 7. And also, leave us a review on iTunes. We yes. really appreciate it. We that. need as many. We have a lot of people listening on iTunes. Leave us a review. Even if it's a sucky review, we'll take it. Yep. We'll take any review at this point. We might even send you a branded T-shirt. We might. <laughs> That's right. If I could steal something from Lisa's uh, closet downstairs, her, uh, her, you know, she got a lot of stuff in there, so I'll just start sending that out as gifts. There you go. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm open window advocate, Joseph Peters. <laughs> Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.